Good afternoon. My name is Andrew Gacciano, and I am currently an intern for the Claire Booth Luce Policy Institute from Rutgers University. Today, I am honored to introduce our next speaker, Kellyanne Thomas. Kellyanne has spent her career as being one of the most noted and quoted pollsters on the national scene. She is the CEO of The Polling Company, Inc., a nationally regarded primary research and consulting firm. This also includes Women Trend, a research division designed for corporate America to better connect to the American woman. Kellyanne has a very strong presence in media, having provided commentary on over 1,500 television shows on networks ranging from Comedy Central to NBC to HBO. Her clients have included major organizations like Major League Football, um, Baseball, excuse me, uh, Liz Claiborne, American Express, and NBC News. In addition, she also co-authored the book, what Women Really Want, How American Women Are Quietly Erasing Political, Racial, Class, and Religious Lives to Change the Way We Live. Kellyanne graduated magna cum laude and Phi Beta Kappa from Trinity Washington University, where she earned her BA in Political Science and spent some time studying at Oxford University. Later, she earned her law degree from George Washington University. She is a member of Claire Blue Foods Policy Institute's board and received CVLPI's Conservative Leadership Award in 2008. In 2004, she was recognized as the most accurate predictor of that year's elections and received the Washington Post's Crystal Ball Award for accurately anticipating electoral results. I was only seven in 2004, but even as a child, I remember waking up the day after the polls closed and eagerly running to the television to see the run. And at a time when the nation had little clue who our next president was going to be, Kellyanne predicted the outcome in the popular vote, 51% um, for George Bush and 48% for John Kerry, and she was exactly right. Please help me in welcoming Ms. Kellyanne. Such a lovely introduction. That was great. Seven years old. Oh, wow. <laughs> they invite me to things like this because I used to be a young conservative. I'm still conservative. The rest changes over time. Thank you very much for the introduction. Michelle Easton, Julie O'Connor, and others from the Therapy Policy Institute, thank you so much for having me. Thank you, really, for all you've done over 23 years to inspire and engage and educate and really just give a very comfortable place for voices and vision across this nation to our wonderful young women. It's, it's just been a wonderful ride. The Therapy Policy Institute really is a very unique force across our country. And even here in Washington, D.C., greater metropolitan area, there's truly no other organization like it. I want to thank them for having you here, but I really want this to be about you. And whenever I'm asked to talk about a subject like today's subject, I try to avoid the word I. So of course I'll tell some stories and give some anecdotes and some color to what I'm saying, but I want this to be about you, not me. I do sit, sit and hear people all the time, I this, I this, it reminds me of the time I said this on TV, reminds me of the time I met someone. So it's fine if it's relevant to you, but I'm hoping today what we talk about is for you and is about you and your futures. So I want to begin by thanking you. I want to begin by thanking you and really reminding you of how special you are. Why are you special? The fact that you're in college makes you pretty unique, even by today's standards. It certainly makes you unique by your grandmother and your mother's standards. We have a growing number of women in this country applying to colleges and graduate schools and medical schools and law schools and business schools. And we have a growing number of women starting their own businesses uh, with or without a college degree or a two-year degree. And so we've never had a more 
power for young women and female out for you to leverage. It can be really exciting, it can be very confusing and very nerve-wracking as well, because I think we can all use an avatar sometimes, someone to edit our choices. It's like, great, look at all these choices. If you give me a menu with like 15,000 things on it, I always get the same thing. I'm like, I know how that's going to be. So sometimes the more choice, the more opportunity becomes a little bit daunting. But the fact that you're here in Washington, D.C., the fact that you're on college campus, the fact that you feel differently and are willing to express that ideologically and philosophically, if not politically, really does make you unique and special. And I would tell you that regardless of your opinions on X, Y, or Z issue, the fact that you are willing to not just go where the lemons go, and the fact that you're willing to turn your head just 30 degrees that way and look out a different pane of glass and still see what everybody else is doing, is a remarkable talent, is a remarkable insight, is a remarkable skill and gift that you have that will benefit you throughout your life. So Michelle asked me to come here and talk about why it's important to be respected as well as liked. I'll go for that. Uh, like, when we, when we talk about like, that's how we describe things. I like that blouse. I like chocolate. I actually love chocolate. I like Brussels sprouts. Um, I, I, I like that man, I like that TV show. We all want to be liked. We want to be well liked. We want to be truly deeply liked. We want to have real meaningful relationships with friends, with colleagues, with professors, certainly with our families, with um, members of the opposite sex with whom we may uh, form a relationship. Being liked and having the ability to truly like other people is a very important, I think just essential component of everyday life. Uh, and I learned a long time ago from someone that if you can't be good at something that you're doing at that moment, at least be nice. And I thought, wow, well, let's try to be good. But I see what she meant. Her name is Charlotte. I met her many years ago uh, when I was interning for a judge while I was in law school here in Washington, D.C. As a judge, I eventually became a law clerk for after I graduated law school. But she gave great advice. She said, you know what they say, Elian? She, she was from the South. She had all these great quips. I mean, I just tried to memorize them all. And then they always come out through my New Jersey mouth, and they're all butchered. But she just said one after the other. But the one that really stuck with me, she said, if you can't be good, at least be nice. And I said, what do you mean? What do you mean? And <laughs> which made me neither good nor nice. And she said, if, you, if you're not the best at that particular sport, or class, or course, or dancing, or singing, whatever it is you're doing, if you're not, if you don't know what's going on in the office space and you need to bring yourself up to speed somehow, at least be pleasant along the way. And I can't tell you how obvious that sounds, and I can't tell you how lacking it is in many places. Be a pleasant person. Be someone that people just want to be around. Either be a great storyteller or be a great listener. Those are two incredible gifts. I've often said to be liked and to sort of start to gain the respect of people, in, a, in an academic or professional situation, it's really fantastic to approach that person and start telling the story or start asking questions, being willing to listen, either be the storyteller or the listener, by approaching them with something that has nothing, has almost nothing to do with why the two of you know each other. So if you go on a job interview or you're writing an essay and they ask you, you're going to talk about that job. If you notice the person went to a college where your mother's best friend went, engage in the conversation. My aunt Helen went to this school. She graduated in 1986. We just happened to have cross paths. Um, or I like I'm a big sports fan. I'm very male about anything, but I just I like to say, hey, you went to Ohio State. I see the Buckeyes. I have a really great season. 
Big Ten and some other people enjoy it and say, that's a really pretty color. I feel like spring is almost, you know, it doesn't, you're not putting yourself down by complimenting someone's clothes. Hello is the first thing you notice. Uh, <clears throat> it looks like it's, we're really trying to get spring to stay here. People always say in New York, wow, I like your, the colors you're wearing. And I say, well, everybody in New York walks around in black all day, every day, every season. It's unbelievable, right? New Yorkers, the, the windows are filled with these gorgeous clothes, and they like to go inside and buy some. Because you die every single day this year. If you're very and so it's just, it's sort of a conversation starter that's, that really just brings you a little bit off of why you're there, which you're going to get to in three minutes anyway. But it also puts you in control and command of the conversation. You win there with something to say, you're not nervous, you're not tentative. And it also shows you've done your homework about that person. I mean, don't get too personal. My husband's like, you know, I think you really freak people out when you tell them that you remember their birthdays and their kids and all things. So don't do that. But that's just, I have a lot of, I lack in many skills like decorating or renovation or uh, anything artistic whatsoever. I can't draw a stick figure. So my thing is I can remember names and faces, so I go with that. But I, I'm not suggesting you learn every shot and tittle about someone's life and then you relate it back to them because that will but it's, it's just a good way to, I think, gain that rapport. So being respected. The way that I believe one is respected is by showing it first and earning it next. Show respect. How do you show respect? The fastest way to show respect is by showing self-respect. If you walk in, if you're, I know every, some of you have told you about the short skirts, which is a funny topic, I wear them forever. Like, really, I look at pictures and I'm like, where are the rest of my clothes? Why could I do that? People try to stop me, I don't know what I'm thinking. But I won't rehash that so much as to tell you, the way you show self-respect and that you're worthy of respect <coughs> is obviously our appearances. So I've had a bad hair life, not a bad hair day. This is not today. This has been my whole life. Whether it's short, whether it's long, whether it's dirty, long, it's such as I just have. That's the way it is. Just look at my Twitter feed someday. People say, you need to rethink your hair. This is after somebody, some professional's working on it for 35 minutes. Then I feel badly for her. So, <laughs> there's only so much you can do with this putty. And, um, but there are ways to manage it. I believe having, um, my niece is 22 and she started an internship this summer. She got the, would have to wear work and said, clothes, toes, shoes, and it said, please wear clothes that fit well and are pressed. And I thought, well, that's kind of clever. I don't know why young people are iron, but that's okay. They're really not saying, please cover your skin, they're saying that fit well and are pressed. You know what? It got a point. Because when I see somebody in rainbow clothes, I'm like, you woke up exactly seven minutes ago. Take within 12 minutes away from here. So we have an issue. I think there's a way to prepare for that. And if you walk in very confident or you approach people that way, you're earning respect by showing them. Also, I'm a big fan. Maybe you disagree. But I will tell you, I've been, I've been older now longer than I was younger. And I, it really counts when people address me as Mrs. Conway or Miss Conway. Even though I quickly tell them an email, you were welcome to call me Kellyanne, but I really appreciate the decorum. It's exactly what I tell them. And some feel comfortable calling me that. I don't tell my children's friends to do that, although some do call me Kellyanne. It's kind of weird to listen to it out of the mouth of a six-year-old. I'm like, <coughs> who's she talking to? Um, so maybe you were born that maybe you're raised in a more progressive thinking household where you call your parents by your first name, I would just suggest to you in a professional setting, an academic setting, until you are invited to address them by their first name, it really stands out these days too because very few people do it. Very few people say, Mrs. Smith or Mr. Jones, 
sir, ma'am. I, re I said to someone one day, um, no, ma'am, and she said, did you just call me ma'am? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> it's getting a little harder because some all of my clients are younger than me now, so it's getting a little weird. But for you, it's perfect. And I, I, I promise you, most people will say thank you, or they'll take mental note of it, or they will say, please call me Josephine. You're welcome to call me Josephine. Um, the other thing is <clears throat> that I learned one one way. I, I learned one way I believe to gain respect, to be both liked and respected is to be willing to hear the word no more than you say. And that's been an important gift, frankly, because you will be rejected. You will be told no. You will feel or you will be outright told, that wasn't your best work. You've got to be mine you got to see. Or we we have to pass you over. Sorry, we think you've got great merit, and one day you'll be ready for this kind of job. But for now, we hired someone else. That's rejection. That's somebody saying no to you. That's really tough to swallow. And you'll think that that's not fair. I feel like, what, what did that person have that I didn't? Who do they know? Is it fair? Why, why didn't they, they were honest with me? It looked like it was going so well. If, when you accept rejection graciously, that opportunity does not twice. Sometimes, this happened to me in my very first job in polling, many, many, 27 years, 28 years ago last year, which was um, the first person they chose. I think there were two applicants, and I didn't get the job between Wow. Uh, there were two of us. The guy got the job, I didn't get the job. And he flaked out somehow and just didn't work out. They called me right away. They didn't repost the position. This is 28 years ago. And I now own a polling company in 21 years. So the fact is, had I said, are you kidding me? Did you see him? He has food on his clothes. He's a big old slob. He stutters his way through his sentence. Like, you're picking him over me. And so I was like, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate the opportunity to be interviewed. I'm sure as I got in my car, I was cursing under my breath. Maybe even had tears in my eyes. But I was gracious to them, and I meant it. I meant to be gracious. And they called two weeks later that it didn't work out, but I called them to the job. That happens more often than you realize. People remember that somebody was gracious in defeat, if not magnanimous, in their rejection. And they end up respecting you. So you could have been rejected for a position and yet respected for the way that you handled that rejection. That happens. The other thing is, and when I say accept the word no more than you say it, People, people are going to ask you to do something for free. They're going to want you to volunteer your time. They're going to ask you to stay late. They're going to ask you to get in earlier or be more prompt or take a trip last minute when you have plans that you really would rather not change. But they are changeable. Your best friend, your sister's not getting married that weekend. You were just going to go visit your boyfriend in a couple train stops away. And so if you keep saying no, the opportunity does not because then you're tagged as somebody who's just not available, who's just not really willing to help. Nobody, and I'd be the last person to ever advocate you have your time put upon unnecessarily, unmercilessly. So if somebody is saying again and again, hey, can you stay till 8? Hey, can you get in at 7? Hey, can you? Then you're just being put upon. But if it's something that really requires your attention and they believe that you would be great for that, they, they see with somebody who they can rely upon, you are dependable, you are smart, you deliver the product, you get it done, you're pleasant, then they will ask you. And the, the old saying, ask a busy person, if you want something done, ask a busy person who can't fit it in or get done, is true. But also asking a pleasant, dependable person is very true. So I would say be willing to accept the word no more than you hear it. And it garners a very special kind of respect because it also 
choose your person of maturity. The other thing that gains respect in my view is judgment and discretion. And they are related, if not married, but they're slightly different. Judgment is just frankly, it's just a written skill. I think I think some people learn that others acquire and some for some it's just a loosening most of their lives. But judgment really means what to say, what to do, what not to say. Intuiting the situation, maybe look if you looked at it and say, well, that person is double booked. I don't know how they're gonna be now. I wonder if I should pop a text and email and say, Do you need you need you need you? Even though you don't want to get a lot of your desk, you don't really think much of their meeting, maybe chances are they'll say, No, but thank you so much for thinking Well, when they say yes, you know, they go, okay, launch into action. But judgment is also if if you know someone is you know Ross is at the divorce lawyer, or at the OBGYN, somebody calls and say, hey, is Miss Smith there? You're like, no, she's at the OBGYN. I think they're switching her prescription today. Nope, TMI, not for judgment and not for discretion. It's like, she's not here right now, let me take a message, or I'm sure she'll get back to you this afternoon. You would not imagine, and this has been a tough lesson, I hear this all the time, if I'm an email change with both genders, male and female, and I'm sure I was guilty of this man called them many, many times. I noticed that people will say, hey, we need to have a conference call about this. How's Wednesday at 2? And if a woman has a conflict, she's very likely to type back, I mean, war and peace. It's like, 2? I can't do 2. I have to meet with my divorce lawyer. I should tell you my husband's a realtor. And then I have to go get my tire changed. And I have to, you know, the men might even be on the golf course. And you know what they do? They text back. Two doesn't work, how about three thirty? That's all they do. So I learned also that sometimes less is more. Exercise judgment and discretion. And I'm not saying silence, but judgment and discretion, you won't regret something you don't say often enough. Which leads me to the other part of it. I believe in today's society that being liked, and particularly, but being liked is easy on social media. Being respected while navigating your social profile is very difficult because things are said and done maybe without even your help or your knowledge and certainly not your, your intent. And making sure your social media profile is clean. When I say clean, just there's nothing silly or untoward. And, and honestly, because these jobs and these spots in grad schools and colleges are so institutions, I would even say it's not the overt things like, hey, here I am doing 21 shots on my 16th birthday. Hello. Uh, not something that obvious uh, that, that you, you can appreciate as not so great in your social media path. I mean things that are also just mindless. I'm not a big fan of mindless when I'm going to hire someone or I'm looking, you know, I'm doing a little bit of due diligence. Mindless is sort of, it's almost, um, it's almost exhibitions. So is it harmless? Sure. Is it mindless? Maybe. Is it necessary? Probably not. Um, will it cost you the world? No, of course not. But things tend to have a cumulative effect too. You know, if they have it in their mind, I'll never, great story, my husband and I at some point thought we I had four small children, wasn't on the bio, ages 11, 11, 8, and 6. Um, no father looking up, they're all from the same husband, no, no blended marriage, no like old fashioned way. So um, a guy at breakfast today said, Are those all your kids? And I'm like, No, I took some in. They weren't mine. I thought that would be a great idea. <laughs> Three wasn't enough. I thought let's just get one more that's not mine. So um, anyway, uh, years ago when we first moved, uh, and my husband said we really should get some help. We should get some living in 
and we never did, but we, we do have help during the day. And I was interviewing someone, literally, you know, I thought I had done all my my due diligence, my agency helping me. And literally, as the doorbell's ringing, my husband says, oh, by the way, then when he's calling me at 8 a.m., um, she puts as one of her hobbies day drinking. I said, what? And I said, I don't know what day drinking is, but I'm going to guess it means you're drinking during the day. <laughs> and here she comes. I mean, she's dressed from head to toe. She's very quiet. And all I could do is picture her day drinking. <laughs> I can concentrate on one more thing. So she was, she was honestly excellent. She was so qualified. She was so pleasant. She was so looking. She was so demure. She just loved kids, obviously, but not as much as she loved day drinking. So finally, I said, I forgot her name because I really don't want to remember because I felt so badly that I felt so badly this one was in my house. Just have to tell you, we noticed on a social media profile that one of your top three hobbies is I said like the mountain climbing was cool, the babysitting I thought was great, but it says day drinking, and her whole face was just. And I said, I'm not sure that's really going to work around. <laughs> but she probably had that on there, um, you know, to kind of be fun for her friends. Or maybe she had had it on a Match.com profile and never really realized. But I do want to work again in my life, not just find Mr. Right. Uh, so things like that, uh, I, I would just say be aware of that. Um, I, I just sort of, when it comes to social media, uh, I've learned that less is more sometimes. And look, maybe you want to maybe you use social media now that you're in college. And maybe you want to also use it to share articles. Maybe you already do. Share articles or join a group or join a Google group that's about Trump for president or it's about environmental concerns from conservative point of view, whatever it is. That, that's that maybe a, a, a really sort of maturing use of social media in addition to whatever you do there. But I subscribe to what, of course, my grandmother has always said, God rest her soul, she said, you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. That's now my going ML on social media, because I would love to tell the tweeters who come at me and say, idiot, that Kellyanne Poles was just on again, spewing her nonsense. Like, what am I going to say? I'm not an idiot. I just ignore it. It drives me crazy. Nobody likes it. Nobody retweets it. It's just some guy in his basement looking for a day drinker. <laughs> some friend. Um, why would I give him life? Why would I give him? Um, and so once in a while I'll just say, I think you all should get some fresh air and sunlight today. It's a really nice day outside. And But it's, it's also, I just feel like less is more. Enough of that. <clears throat> people love people who are funny. And some people are just naturally funny. And some people find humor in things. And then some people are just great listeners with a big receiving, accepting smile on face when other people are funny. But it goes back to sort of the pleasantness. I find everybody is just so heavy these days. Like, what's wrong? <laughs> and I don't know. It's that's when I can see their faces, by the way. Make sure that people just aren't looking at the tops of your head. I have memorized the top of everybody's head, like in all of America. All I do is see people down and like, hey, any eyes under there? And I know we're all guilty of that. And I would really, in a professional setting particularly, I'd be really careful. And I'm guilty of it, so I'd be really careful. I would say the way you don't text and drive, I would say don't work and don't text and work. Um, go into the ladies' room, go in the stall, check those messages, pop a message to mom, what time will be done, answer your, your friend, your girlfriend at school, and then get on with your day. Even if it doesn't take away from your doing, 
that partner may just be, he may get one glimpse of you that entire day he's walking by. He has no idea if you're texting his partner. He has no idea if you're texting him. He has no idea if you're on Facebook. But just as you would not text and drive, not this is serious, I'm just trying to say. Don't text and drive. It's incredibly important. Um, take your lunch break and go text to your heart's content. Talk to people on the phone and go online if you like. Then people respect you because they also feel like you are worthy of it and you're also showing respect to the particular position. <clears throat> um, people today also want to, I, I think we're a nation of complainers. I've never guilty of this. I, I have never, I've never witnessed this in all my years. Everything complaining about everything. We, George and I took the four children to uh, Greenville, South Carolina, all over South Carolina, but we said it's from being born in South Carolina primary this year because I'm sure that's where my kids want to go on spring break. But they love politics in the South Carolina primary. I needed to be there. They had offered me, so we went. And then we were in a case in Texas. My daughter, Charlotte, in the seventh time, the state said, Mom, you're in South Carolina. When somebody asks you, how's your day? They really want to know the answer. <laughs> it's great for somebody born in Europe. And she's right. Um, why the complaining? Why the gloom and doom? Why is it all, you know, how's everything? Well, the traffic today. Really, there was traffic today? Because I've never heard of there being traffic, ever. Um, uh, did you know it's going to rain? Well, we're standing it. Yes, I did. In other words, yes. But it's sort of like, if you, I know it sounds so obvious and formulaic. I kid you not. If you have something positive and cheerful to say, I swear to God, it will stand out immediately. It could be anything from, that's a really pretty place. Or, did you see it? Finally feels like spring. The weekend's going to be fantastic. Do you have any plans? And I know you do that naturally, but I think as time marches on, it's just so easy to talk about what's wrong, what we don't have, what didn't go right, what's not fair. I hear unfair and um, Also, I would say let your struggles deepen you and not define you. And what I mean by that is some people are interested in your struggles, but I think they're, I think if you let your struggles, whether you have a health condition or you have a mountain of student debt, or you can't find a job, or you didn't get into your, your number one or number two college picks. You got into three, three through six, and that's where you went. You just, I think if you let your struggles define you and not just deepen you who you are as a person, then it ends up overtaking things. We're all struggling in some way, we all have, or all will be. There's no question that it's a very binding, cohesive factor of life and female life in America. But I would let it be a little bit more private and I would, I would sort of learn from it. And um, just to be personal for a second, so my father left when I was two years old, and I often forget that because we have, because I, I had a great upbringing. I hardly noticed, believe it or not, because I, did, I didn't miss what I never had. And I tell people all the time, like, oh, my God. And I have a relationship now and a relationship with his four grandchildren. But people say, oh, my God, that must have been awful. That must have been terrible. And I immediately say, I cannot compare my situation to friends and family, stranger situations where the parents got divorced when they were 9, 12, 15. I do remember mom and dad did have implications in their That must be terrible. So in other words, yes, my struggle defined me somehow, but I also can show some compassion for people who had the same struggle but what I would consider to be worse. You know, oh, student loans. I had six figures worth and I got a little bit. I don't know what I was thinking. Um, my mom, I remember her. Saying, uh, honey, um, I went to GW Law School, and at the time I went, it was ranked 21st in the country, and it was the fifth most expensive. 
But I was like, honey, I don't mind it being the fifth most expensive, but why is it the fifth best? That's pretty good logic. She's not even in the law school. That's pretty logical. Um, but you know those student loans? They're like a distant memory because over time I just worked hard little by little. But I didn't say to people, oh, go out this weekend for her birthday. I can't. I have student loans. I would just think about it. Think about it and say, okay, maybe I can talk the rest of the week and um, not go out, you know, again and not. Why is it my friend's burden that I have student loans even for birthday? But if you start saying that, so I guess I'm just trying to say we all have struggles and let them deepen you as a person, not define you. Uh, the, other, the other thing is I would really be willing to lose. I feel like we are, we're, we're, this, we're this nation now where many people, including young women, say, oh, I love taking risks. I love trying new things. I'm going to join a revolution. I'm going to make a change. I'm going to exercise a choice. This is great. I'm gonna, and then we recoil and whiplash like fear when we get that chance. It's finally in front of us. Do not be afraid to fail. I know. I don't know any of you that maybe went through this room, and even then, not well. I guarantee you, have people in your life who love you and who are supporting you, and who will do that regardless. And why else? How else would you be here? For God's sake, They're, they don't care if you fail, because they will love you regardless. What you will regret one day is not failing, but but you will regret not attempting failure and attempting success. I promise you. You are you have your whole life ahead of you. God, it's the greatest gift you have is like all these opportunities to fail to succeed. And I could say it's a little bit off the be like to be respected, but it's all related. I can say people, winners are people who are willing to lose. They really are. You're a winner if you're willing to lose. And sometimes when you're willing to lose, you actually win. Because you've made peace with the fact this may not work. I may not do well. Uh, and you know what? It's usually not a measure very much. Some of the smartest people I went to law school with, who are the most fantastic lawyers, by the way, failed the bar once or twice. I hope it's distant memory of their lives. I, I don't even focus on it. I really think about it 25 years later or 20 years later. But, but the fact is, it's not a measure of your worth as a person. It's a measure of your performance on one test, in one interview, in one alley. And but, but, but you will, I feel like regret later on is people say, I wish I had tried X, or I wish I had done Y. It's not, I really wish I hadn't failed, because the failure is obvious, and then you get on your way to succeed. Um, the last couple things I would say is people really feed off of other people's confidence. And there's a difference between confidence and arrogance, obviously. But think about something for a moment. Bringing together what I said about people insulting you and letting it define you versus confidence. Um, I, I, it, it's just amazing to me. I feel like with women, if, if, if we talk about 100 people, I'm a poster, we have a base of 100 people. If 99 of them literally come up to you today, literally just have a line of adulation of you today and say, That is the most beautiful dress I've ever seen. You look so incredibly extra pretty today. But what you just said, smartest thing since Albert Einstein was And one person comes up to me and says, boy, are you really stupid and ugly? And is that like the dumbest stuff? Where did you get that happen? Like, is it keep work? What are you going to remember all day, all week, all month? It's human nature to be like, am I really stupid? Never remember the 99. And just remember the one. And especially if it's, say, 65, 35, then forget it. And I, I, the way you, the way to overcome it, because it's human nature to say, wow, how can 
nobody else told me you're stupid. Do you really think you're stupid? Do you think you're an idiot? Do you think you're not pretty? Do you think of course you don't? You know, all of that's not true. So somebody saying it, I learned to just like say a prayer for them um, and recommend the fresh air and the sunlight. But confidence means, you know, when you have confidence, when you have confidence, people can't penetrate that confidence barrier and that self-assurance. Confidence is different than self-assurance. Self-assurance means I know this is the best I can be. This is like the ultimate. That takes a while. Confidence means you at least have that, that self-awareness and a little bit of self-deprecation where you, you say, I can do this. Or I can, I can, I'm, I'm going to try. Does anybody want to, does anybody want to ask the first question? It's kind of like, does anybody think it's kind of like, okay. What, what's it going to be? So it's, um, I, I just think that if you've got that confidence there, it's very difficult for others to shake you. Uh, there's a lot of literature now about grittiness. I like that literature. I think showing grit and showing ground. And one thing I would remark about, about is, uh, goes back to the struggle and the grittiness but it's also people show respect to people who um, seem very determined. You know, well, I just spelled something wrong, and that you know that or, or that man was really embarrassed. What's wrong with spell check? Well, spell check's not going to know the difference between course and course, course and course if you spell it wrong. Uh, I'm going to make that up by doing X, Y, and Z. Or uh, they told me I got this entire thing wrong, or I was late for something. Really important because I didn't understand the metro. I had to switch lines. Um, grit means I'm going to get this. I'm going to be up to to show that I'm the best person here. And it's also sort of it's this. I feel some people in today's society like we're, we're just we're handed a lot and we're a lot of that for us. And it's easy for 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 us all. I'm saying us royally to lose sight of the value of of having to figure it out. I mean. Travel in New York now. You have an iPhone with a GPS and what, where, where to eat, what to do, and all. It's really great to have to figure something out on your own once in a while without Siri, without. And it shows grit. And I'm telling you, in a workplace, you're not going to be able to Google the problem, right? It's specific to that client, that you know, that workplace, that assignment. And I think showing grit, even when you're wrong or don't do it well the first time, that grit and that grounded, that determination is very attractive. And likability. The last thing I'll say is does anybody ever seen the movie When Harry Met Sally? Oh, you have? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're okay. Yeah, pretty much. Good. I never know. Um, dating myself for sure. So I mentioned before that my father left when I was young. So the reason I didn't notice is I was raised in a very unconventional household by my mother, her mother, and two of my mother's unmarried sisters. So these four Italian Catholic women raised. Talk about doing nothing for yourself. Like nothing. My grandmother standing there in the Catholic school uniform, my mother be cooking something, somebody be combing my hair, somebody else be putting on my socks. I'm like, I have hampers. I'm in kindergarten and I have hampers. <laughs> and, uh, I grew up very middle class. Some days I wonder, I don't know. Um, they never you know, talked about money with, with me as a kid. But I have to say that growing up in a house like that, and maybe some of you can relate to this, it is a gift that keeps on giving to me because I feel like a very empowered woman, um, an anti-feminist empowered woman, and nobody ever had a political conversation, and nobody ever had a gender conversation that I can remember. Zero, none. We, had pictures, we didn't have pictures of Ronald Reagan and J.F.K. on the wall. We had pictures of Pope in the Last Supper. 
any of my dancers I don't That's a real rule. Nobody had a political conversation. Nobody had a gender conversation. I think they all raised me very strong and independent um, without saying a word, without ever saying those words, and just by example. But they all sort of very self-denying, and I feel like all of us are in a way. I meet very, very few women of any age who don't have some self-doubt that's, that's evident in something. The old saying that if a married couple is sitting there and they're having a steak dinner, if the husband had bought the meat, which is a funny story, uh, if the husband had stopped at Joe's butcher shop, shop and got the steaks, and the couple is eating dinner, and the wife asks the husband, Where did you get this meat? They'll say, Without looking up, Joe's butcher shop. He answers the question, Joe's butcher shop. If the husband asks the wife, where did you get this meat? She'll say, why, what's wrong with it? You don't like it? Did they get the wrong one? Is it tough? Is it not cooked right? You know, all of a sudden, we're like, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? There's a bit of self-denial and self-doubt, I think, in, in, in the thing. I grew up in a house like that where we were learned to be, to serve, not to, to give, not to receive, to serve, to not ask it. And it, it, it hurt me early in my career because I think I was just a little too, not respectful, deferential. It was a little too deferential. You know, it was like, walk all over me, sure, that'll be fun. Um, let's do it again. And it's only, you know, this, so when I started my business uh, 21 years ago this week, I, you know, I pretty much thought I knew what I was doing, but you never really are sure. And I feel like I undercut my value in the beginning quite a bit. You know, it's like, oh, you're going to pay us for that? Um, it's just a privilege to talk to you. Really? Because <laughs> this is called work. So I remember a story. I remember just self-denying. My mother once said to me, um, when I was older, she said, Honey, is that you in there? I was visiting home. Is that you in the kitchen? Yes, Mommy. Would you get me a popsicle? I said, Sure. What flavor do you want, Mom? She said, Oh, it doesn't matter. I said, Okay. So I opened up the freezer, and there's you know, 10 boxes of popsicles not open, four flavors in each. I'm like, Mom, there's about 300 popsicles here of every flavor. It looks like a Crayola box. What flavor would you want? It doesn't matter. You pick. So I went into the next room and I said, it does matter. It's your popsicle, and I want you to pick the flavor. Because it's just very raw. It's like, it's okay. I'll go last. What's, what's left over? I'll take the leftover. Oh, probably nobody likes lime. I don't either, but I'll take the lime. And it can be very self-denying, self-doubt. So there I was. I'll end this story, and good advice for you. There I was. This is 20 years ago. This is June, um, June of 1996, 21 years ago. 20 years ago. 20 years ago. June of 1996, my company was a year old, and I was a CNN political analyst at the time. Hey, it was unheard of at the time because there was very little cable TV, but the Fox News was like months old. And I got a call. Somebody answered the phone at my company and said, Oh, hi, Kellyanne. Joe Blow from the Washington Speakers Bureau is on the phone, and he'd like to talk to you about a speech on September 28th. I said, Okay, great. And he comes, Hi, this is Kellyanne. He said, Hi, I'm Joe Blow from the Washington Speakers Bureau. And I um, was given your name by the Securities Industry Association. And they would like you and Democratic pollster Mark Norman to speak to their board, to speak to their annual conference on September 28, 1996, talk about the upcoming elections, what's going to happen, demographics, etc. And he said, um, I said, I said, the Mayflower Hotel, and I looked out the window, my office was a block and a half of the Mayflower Hotel. So this is going to be an easy trip. And he said, it's a lunchtime speech. We'd like each of you to speak for 20 minutes and then reserve 20 minutes for joint Q&A 
You're welcome to stay for lunch. You're welcome to be the whole conference. And I said, okay, it sounds great. I said, actually, I'm available. I'll mark it down. And then he said, do you have an, he said, do you have an agent? And I'm like, oh, no. Once in a while, I ask my mom, and she thinks, you know, she's so stupid and airheady. He's like, do you have an agent? Because Mark has an agent. I said, no, not at all. You just deal with me. Once in a while, I ask my mom, and she thinks. He, then he said, the worst question of all, what is your speaking fee? I had been in law school, I'm admitted to practice in four states. Free speech to me, up until that point, wasn't even the Constitution and the First Amendment. Free speech was, we'll call Kellyanne, she'll give one. <laughs> I knew whatever I said to him about my speaking fee, I was going to be that girl in South Jersey being raised by those four self-denying women and a mother who can't pick up obstacles. Who I adore, I adore her. Um, she's the best. And I knew whatever I said, I was going to undercut myself and then be mad at him. It's not his fault. He's not holding it down. He asked me the question, what is your speaking thing? I panicked. And I said, I instead took a line out of when Harry met Sally. I said, I'll have what he's having. And he said, excuse me? And I said, I'll have what he's having. And I said, you said Mark and I are going to each speak for 20 minutes and take joint Q&A. I said, whatever Mark's asked for, um, I, I think that fee will be acceptable. Oh, okay. He said, well, he asked for um, $3,500. <laughs> I said, that'll be fine. <laughs> and I fell to the floor. I was so excited. I have no idea. I was so excited. But I literally would have said, how about 500 Is that too much? I would literally have said, how about 500 Is that too much? That's what I would have said. And six months before that, I would have been like, no, no, no. This will be fun. I'll eat lunch with you. This will be fun. Fun. So... I felt to the floor. I thought that was the coolest thing ever. But when in doubt, think of pop culture and just say, I'll have a piece of Thank you. senior years in college, and then I took a job there 30 hours a week during my senior year. 
and I learned bowling. But I wasn't yet ready to accept a full-time offer. I always wanted to go to law school, so I did that. Law school three years, prepared for a judge for a year. Started um, practicing law, and then I quickly got out of that and went back into bowling by joining Frank Lutz's firm, if you know Frank Lutz. And uh, then went out on my own. And you, you said, like, what made you the I never imagined being a pollster. I didn't know what a pollster was. I thought a pollster is somebody who redoes your couch and drapes, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, which I cannot do. It's one of those instances, Jamie, I think the lesson from it is internships and summer jobs are the best place to try something you think you may not like um, or, or to try something totally new that you never expected to do. We just had this conversation last night with some 21 or 22 year olds about that very thing that it's a great time because it's only eight weeks or it's only 10 weeks or it's only and sometimes it's a really good place to even try something you think you do like. And my niece last summer worked for her aunt, who's a very prominent lawyer, has her own law firm, real go-getter. She can wait, she's like, Aunt Jackie, your work life is the most boring, tedious thing I've ever seen. And she's like, really? But I'm so glad she realized that. Uh, so for me, I never regretted having a, a law degree and being a businesswoman. It helped, because it helps you negotiate. It helps you say on how he's happy. It helps you. It, it, it helped me in Washington, D.C., which is a city that reveres brainheads. There's a certain hierarchy here that, is, that I believe doesn't exist in other cities where youth and energy is you know, valued quite a bit. And so um, I never imagined being a poster. I stumbled into it through this summer drama. I was their second choice of two applicants. And so that tells you something. Um, I can look at it as I came in second. I got the silver medal. Or I came in dead last. So I, tried, I chose to see I got the silver medal. And, and here it is many years later. Um, and it's, it's just a good life lesson. It's, we, we have this idea. I think we're very lucky in the United States of America because as students, we're not forced at the age of 13 or 14 to declare what we want to do. I studied abroad, and in some places you are. It's basically, we want you to become an expert now. All your schooling should focus towards that science or that liberal arts program or that. So I think these summer jobs and these internships are the time to Try something a little bit out of the word for yourself. It worked out for me. Thank you. Hi, oh, next question. Hi, Ariel. Hi. So my name's Ariel, and I go to James Madison University in Virginia, and um, I've grown up in Alexandria, so just south of DC. Um, I guess I'd say that in the next five to ten years, most of this room is going to face one of the biggest rejection periods of our life. You know, internships and entry-level jobs. Um, some may send out hundreds of applications to all different types of firms. My question is, if, for instance, we do get you know, an interview, a phone interview, a Skype interview, and it progresses from there, and then from then we're told no, do you recommend following up with those firms? And if so, what is appropriate? What a great question. The answer is absolutely, positively, yes. It shocks them. They figure you just moved on, or you're mad. They feel a little embarrassed sometimes. They're like, I really liked Ariel. I thought she was great. And if this job description is just slightly differently, where the other person didn't have a degree, a degree in accent hers is in line, we would, you know, we have a space for Ariel in the future. They will love hearing that. The average, um, I think the average employer, whether it's the person you interview with directly or the HR department is a big place, they usually take those calls with gratitude and a plum because they say, well, that's a, that's a really clear-headed you know, college graduate who says, I know that you're rejecting me, I'd like to improve my engineering skills, or I'd like to know what it was. 
Uh, it's better than assuming, too, because then we assume that the person who got the job knows someone, dad knows someone in the firm, and they, they wanted a man, or, they, or we assume it must have been something stupid I said, or it must have been the writing sample I provided. Why yes? Just ask them. And sometimes the answer really surprises you. It's that we thought we were going to fill this position and end up being totally different. We, we thought we wanted somebody who wants to be in development and fundraising, but what they really is an event planner, and they didn't bother to tell you. They just, you want to be a development person. So I absolutely, positively um, urge you to do that when, you know, it doesn't have to be the next day. If you're still stewing or you're really disappointed, take that deep breath, get that sunlight, and then ask, and it goes a long way. You say, thank you very much for your time and for taking you're taking the time to interview me, consider my application. Thank you so much for re for reviewing with me a post. What you want to ask is like a post interview or post post action. If you want a post action interview, this is and um, and then you might say, Are you aware of anyone else in your industry who's hiring? And that's really awesome. And now you've got a person who's very senior thinking, Wow, now this person's asking me, Do I know other people who are hiring? You know, in our industry, they may say no, but I'll keep you in mind. But you will be remembered as someone who has a great deal of self-awareness and graciousness, just graciousness in rejection. All right, thank you. Thank you very much.